For our text this morning, we'll take just one verse from the book of Leviticus. We'll look at chapter 17, verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. You don't have to be a biology student or a medical student to understand the importance that blood is to human life. Even children know that if a body is drained of its blood, the body ceases to exist. It's lifeless without the blood. That's true in a physical sense, and that is also true in a spiritual sense. The blood of Jesus Christ is the thing that gives the gospel its life. There are some liberal progressive theologians who would like to eliminate the blood of Jesus from the gospel. There's been moves in the past to eliminate any song or hymn, hymn, uh, any song in the hymn book that makes reference to that blood. Uh, They find it distasteful. But we know if we do that, if you remove the blood of Jesus Christ from the gospel, you have a lifeless, worthless gospel. We know throughout Scripture there is this crimson thread woven throughout from the book of Genesis to Revelation, and the theme is redemption through the blood. It tells us here again, Why is it so important? It says it's that blood that maketh atonement for the soul. The word atonement means to cancel or to cover. From We get our word reconciliation. The Greek word for atonement means reconciliation. Why is it so important for our sins to be covered or atoned for? Well, we understand and Scripture lets us know that God is a holy God. God cannot stand to look on sin. Sin is a terrible offense to a righteous, holy, perfect God. We know even the account where Jesus, as he was giving his life's blood on that cross, and he looked up to heaven and he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was at that moment that God had to turn away because he couldn't stand to look upon sin. Well, the only way for sinful man to stand before a righteous, holy God is to have that sin atoned for or to be covered. The only way we can be reconciled to God or put back in a right relationship with God is to have our sins atoned for and covered. And we know that relationship was severed in the garden there the moment Adam and Eve disobeyed God and it plunged the world into sin. So uh, in order to be reconciled or made right with God, we had to have an atonement or a covering for that sin. Hebrews 9.22 tells us without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. That word remit means to release from the guilt or the penalty of. It's similar to the word atone, which means to cancel or cover. There's only one thing that can do that. That is the blood of Jesus Christ. We heard in our scripture reading in Romans chapter 5, it tells us that we are justified by the blood of Jesus, and we're saved from wrath through Him. 
We're reconciled to God by the death of his son. And it tells us in verse 11 of chapter 5 that it's through Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. So we see we are saved or justified through the blood of Jesus. We're reconciled because of that blood. And we are we receive that atonement or that covering for our sins. It's all purchased through the blood of Christ. You know, having the blood of Jesus cover our sins is far different than trying to cover them up ourselves. The problem is, too many times, mankind tries to provide a covering for his sin or an atonement for his sin. Some will try to cover their sins by doing good deeds. Isaiah 64, verse 6 says that our own righteousness is as filthy rags. We cannot cover our own sins by doing good deeds. It will never be an adequate covering for that sin. I think of Brother Dwayne Wilson's testimony often. He made some decisions in life and he found himself bound by sin. He said he was miserable and sinful and terribly and desperately unhappy. And at one point he thought he would even lose his mind because of the conviction and the guilt he felt. So one day he thought within himself, I'm going to do something about this. And he thought, if I give money to the church, maybe that will help with this condemnation. So he started giving money to the church. No relief. Thought, well, maybe I'll do something nice for somebody. And one day he actually made 50 bologna sandwiches, took them downtown, handed them out to the homeless. Still had that guilt and condemnation And sometime later, he said he was sitting in a church service and he heard the minister say, who are you serving? And right then, it was like a light bulb went on and he realized, that's my problem. I'm not serving the Lord. I've been trying to clean up myself and my own strength and do all these things. And I've never given my life to the Lord. That day, that evening, everything changed. He knelt at the altar, Surrendered his life to Christ. He let the blood of Jesus flow over him. And he said in that moment, all that guilt and condemnation were gone. We know it's only the blood of Jesus that can make an atonement for sin. Sometimes people try to atone for their sins by blaming others. We read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. It says, And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, She gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Of course, this is the account. After they had disobeyed God, and they had eaten of that fruit that the Lord said not to even touch. When they were confronted, what did Adam do? He said, Well, it's this woman you gave me. Well, men have been blaming women for their problems since the beginning of time. And he said, it's the woman you gave me. So in a sense, he was also blaming God. Well, Eve said, well, Satan or the serpent beguiled me. But the blame game, you know, it went on, but it didn't excuse them or relieve them of their own personal responsibility or their guilt. Blaming others will never release you of your own personal guilt. It's a poor and it's a fail. It's actually an inadequate covering for your guilt. You know, sometimes people will try to offer sacrifices that God doesn't require as a way to atone or cover for their sin or their disobedience. Again, in Genesis chapter 4, we read the account of Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's first uh, born sons. 
It says in the process of time, they each came and they were to make a sacrifice unto the Lord. And we know that Abel brought of the firstling of his flocks and he offered a blood sacrifice to the Lord. And that was accepted by God. That is what God required. Well, Cain brought of the fruit of the ground. It says he was a tiller of the ground and he probably brought the best fruit and the best vegetables. It's probably maybe a beautiful cornucopia of fruit and vegetables. Maybe the best that he could grow. But it wasn't accepted of God because it wasn't what God was requiring. And that sacrifice was rejected. Of course, we know things went from bad to worse. Cain ended up murdering his brother Abel. And he was cursed as a result. So we know sacrifices instead of obedience, are, it's an inadequate covering for sin. We see that pattern repeated in the life of King Saul. Israel's first king and the first recorded sin that we see Saul committing was actually in the form of a sacrifice as they were facing a battle with the Philistines and uh, God commanded Saul through the prophet Samuel to wait for Samuel seven days and at the end of that seven days Samuel would come and offer a sacrifice and then God would show them what to do. Well, day seven rolled around and Saul got impatient. So it said he forced himself to offer that sacrifice, did something in direct disobedience to the Lord. And Samuel said, Saul, what have you done? He said, you've done foolishly because you did this thing. The Lord has rejected you from being king. So we see you can't cover up your sin or provide an atonement by offering things to the Lord that he's not even requiring Sometimes people try to hide their sins by trying to hide from God. How foolish that is. Again, Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, after they sinned and they realized their eyes were open, and it says they were naked and ashamed. So they sewed fig leaves and tried to provide a covering, and they went and hid themselves. But we know it was a false covering. God called them out, and he held them responsible for their disobedience. But the good news is, God did not leave them without a covering. Genesis 3.21, it says, Unto Adam and also his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Only God can provide a proper covering or a proper atonement for sin. The significance of that is the fact that an animal had to die to provide that coat. Blood had to be shed as a provision for that covering. We see the first example here of the innocent dying for the guilty. We know all of the Old Testament sacrifices, when they would offer blood, pointed to the one sacrifice, the greatest sacrifice of all, when Jesus would come as that lamb without spot, without blemish, and he'd offer his own blood on that cross to atone for the sins of the people. Hebrews 9.12 says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. We are redeemed. We are atoned. Those past sins are atoned and covered by the blood of Jesus. We also know, again, God is righteous and holy. You know, God can't just speak and clear the guilty. Well, he could, but he chooses not to because to do so would compromise his righteousness and his holiness you know that righteousness won't permit him to forgive the sinner based solely on their repentance we know repentance is important 
That's our part. But pardon can come only after a penalty is paid. Imagine a judge presiding over a courtroom, arbitrarily pardoning the criminal simply because he can. Well, it would be a terrible miscarriage of justice. Say that wouldn't be right. A penalty has to be paid. Well, we know that penalty for our sin was paid by Jesus Christ by shedding his own precious blood. Numbers 14, 18 says, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty. So we see both sides of God's nature here. He's full of mercy and forgiveness. But we also see that he won't just arbitrarily pardon the guilty. A penalty had to be paid, and it was paid for through Jesus Christ. First Peter 1, verse 18 and 19 says, We weren't redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. You know, some people try to buy a pardon for their sin or pay off a judge or maybe pay to have something covered up. It's called hush money. That's not how we're redeemed. It says, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Again, it's the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain. I know nothing but the blood of Jesus. That is the thing that will purchase our redemption, pardon our sins. You know what else the blood of Jesus does? It takes care of a guilty conscience. Hebrews 9.14 says that the blood of Christ will purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You know, people try to purge their own conscience. Again, they try to cover their own guilt and their own conscience. If you ever wonder how to do that, you can ask Google. we got lots of suggestions on how to do that. Things like this, five ways to get rid of guilt. Five science-backed tips for getting rid of guilt. Understanding the psychology of guilt. One mental health expert even suggested doing this. When feeling guilty about something you did, try to find something positive about the action. It's about the worst advice you'll ever get. Cover it up. Excuse it. Justify it. It doesn't work. Again, we see King Saul trying to do that again in the Word of God. As he was given a commandment to go and wipe out the Malachites, don't leave anything behind, but he took matters into his own hands. He brought the king back, and he brought the best of the sheep and the oxen and all of those things. And when he was confronted about it, rather than confess it and admit it, He said, well, I saved the best to sacrifice to the Lord. Well, it sounded real sanctimonious and real righteous. The only problem was it was in direct obedience. It was not an adequate covering for that disobedience. And again, as a result, it cost him his kingdom. The Bible says, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But you know, there is a place you can go to get rid of that guilt, that condemnation. Again, I think of that song. There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged 
Beneath that flow lose all their guilty stains. The Lord can take care of a defiled conscience because when the blood of Christ is applied to a defiled heart, the heart gets cleaned up, the conscience gets cleaned up. It's provided through the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus provides protection for our souls. Again, in the book of Exodus, we have that account where Moses was leading the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage and the Lord was going to pass one last plague on the nation of Egypt. We know that the firstborn in every family was going to die. That just that didn't include just children, but the firstborn of all of the livestock and the servants, uh, there was a sentence of death pronounced upon them. But God gave them a set of instructions. He said, you take a lamb and you slay that lamb and you take that blood and you apply it to the two doorposts in the lintel of your house and you get inside of that house. And he said, if I pass over and I see that blood, I'll pass over you. But you need to stay inside to be protected from that destroyer. Of course, the placement of that blood was symbolic of the cross. Well, the same thing applies to us spiritually. We place our lives under the blood of Jesus Christ. We surrender to the Lord. And as long as we keep ourselves under the blood, we have God's protection and provision. And not necessarily physical protection. We know there are those that will give their lives for the cause of Christ, but we can trust our souls to the Lord. Our souls are the one thing the enemy can't touch as long as we keep it under the blood of Jesus. So we have our soul's protection provided by the blood of Jesus. We can commit the safekeeping of our souls unto the Lord if we stay under that blood. Without the blood of Christ, we wouldn't be able to be sanctified or filled with the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 13.12 says, Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. How important is it to the Lord that you're sanctified, purified, made holy? Well, he thought it was important enough to die for you so that you could be sanctified. Jesus prayed. One of the last recorded prayers for his disciples before he went to that cross was, Lord, make them one, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Jesus shed his blood that you might be sanctified. That's available today through the blood of Jesus. Matthew 27 tells us that when Christ shed that last drop of blood on Calvary and he said those words, it is finished. It said there was a great earthquake and the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Of course, this is significant to us. That veil separated People from that holiest of holies, the holiest place in all of the world and all the earth uh, was contained behind that veil. And we know that's where the glory of God and the Spirit of God dwelled. It was that place that the high priest could only go in once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people when Jesus died and provided his, shed his blood. That veil was rent in twain, giving us access to the holiest of holies. It says we can come boldly to the throne of grace because of Christ precious blood you know there's physical healing in the blood of Jesus tells us Isaiah 53 5 it says but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed 
You know, if the blood of Jesus is powerful enough to cover our sins, if it's powerful enough to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, if it was sufficient payment to wipe our record clean and to redeem us, certainly it's powerful enough to heal us physically. Many here can testify to the times when the Lord came down and physically touched their bodies. They were able to discern that there's power in the blood of Jesus to heal. God in His sovereign mercy or in His wisdom, sometimes He doesn't heal every time, but we know there certainly is power. Often He does. And it's through the blood of Jesus that's part of that atonement. You know, as powerful as this blood is, there's one thing that it cannot do. The blood of Jesus cannot atone for or cover future sins. It says in Hebrews 10.26, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. You know, the blood of Jesus, you know, it takes care of past sins. When you're saved, that blood has washed you clean. It tells us in Psalm 103, verse 12, what Jesus does with those old sins. It says, He, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. So when that blood is applied through surrender to the Lord, those old past sins, uh, it says that the Lord won't remember them against us anymore. He removes them as far as the east is from the west. The blood of Jesus can take care of present sins. Good news is, if you're here this morning and you're unsaved, if there's sin in your life, Jesus Christ can cleanse you from that sin today. It says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It tells us that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So if you have a sin issue in your life this morning, you can kneel before the Lord, open your heart to the Lord, sacrifice yourself and lay yourself out on that altar, and that blood of Jesus will come and cleanse you from all sin, all unrighteousness. If you're here and you're a backslider, well, there's hope for you. You don't have to be discouraged. You don't have to remain in a backslidden condition. We have a beautiful promise in Second Chronicles seven fourteen. It's as if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins. Jesus can restore the backslider this morning if you're willing to humble yourself, lay your pride in the dust, kneel before the Lord, say, Lord, here I am, just as I am without one plea, but that the blood was shed for me. Jesus, I come. If you come that way, the Lord will forgive you. He'll restore your soul. If you're in a backslidden condition, you know, Jesus is a universal donor. Blood is available for everyone. Hebrews 2.9, it says he tasted death for every man. 1 Timothy 2.6 says Christ gave himself a ransom for all. 2 Corinthians 5.15 tells us He died for all. Jesus Christ shed His blood for all mankind. Salvation is available to all. It doesn't mean everybody's going to be saved. That's entirely upon the individual, whether they avail themselves of that blood. But the price has been paid. Redemption was purchased through Christ's own blood. 
It's available to all. And you know what? Jesus' blood is a perfect match for every situation, every circumstance. I'm going to close with a little story. This was submitted to a Christian publication by a chaplain a few years ago. It says, in 1949, my father had just returned home from the war. On every American highway, you could see soldiers in uniform hitchhiking home to their families, as was the custom in that time in America. Sadly, the thrill of his reunion with his family was soon overshadowed. My grandmother became very ill and had to be hospitalized. It was her kidneys. And the doctors told my father that she needed a blood transfusion immediately or she would not live through the night. The problem was that her blood type was AB negative, a very rare type even today, but even harder to get then because there were no blood banks or air flights to ship blood. All the family members were typed. No one was a match. The doctors gave the family no hope. My grandmother was dying. My father left the hospital in tears to gather up all the family members to say goodbye. As my father was driving down the highway, he passed the soldier in uniform hitchhiking home to his family. Deep in grief, he had no inclination at that moment to do a good deed. Yet it was almost as if something outside of himself pulled him to a stop, and he waited for that stranger to climb into the car. My father was too upset to ask the soldier his name, but the soldier noticed my father's tears and inquired about them. Through his tears, my father told this total stranger that his mother was lying in a hospital dying because the doctors had been unable to locate her blood type, AB negative. If they didn't locate her blood type before nightfall, she would surely die. It got very quiet in the car. Then this unidentified soldier extended his hand out to my father, palm up, resting in the palm of his hands were the dog tags from, his, from around his neck. The blood type on the tags was AB negative, a perfect match. The soldier told my father to turn the car around and get him back to the hospital. My grandmother lived until 1996, 47 years later. And to this day, no one in our family knows the soldier's name. We've often wondered, was he a soldier or an angel in uniform? God sent somebody special into our lives to carry out a very special mission. Well, she had a physical need. We have a spiritual need. All of us are born in sin and shape and iniquity. There's no hope for us outside of one special type of blood. That's the blood of Jesus Christ. That blood is a perfect match for every situation. It can cover any sin in your life. It's the blood that gives us life, and it's available to all. The question is, what will you do with that blood? You can avail yourself of it. And when you do, you place yourself under that blood. You, you let that blood of Jesus cover you, and it'll cleanse you. It'll purify you. It'll make you pure and holy. Or you can reject it and trample it under your feet. Either the blood of Jesus covers it, or we trample it under our feet. You only have two choices. But if you trample that blood under your feet, the Bible gives us a warning. It says there's a sore punishment that awaits those who would do so and treat it as an unholy thing. Sadly, so many people do. But you know, 
Calvary stream still flowing this morning. Jesus is still holding out that offer of salvation. His blood is just as powerful as it was the day it was shed. And he's offering you redemption, life through that blood. But you have to avail yourself of the blood of Jesus. But if you're not saved this morning, the Lord can save you. If you need a healing touch, if you need to be sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit, understand those things were purchased by Christ's blood. And you can have them today because of that precious blood. We're going to sing 330. Let's stand and again come to the altars. Avail yourself of the sacrifice that the Lord has made for you today.